This week on the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 11, The Distance, written by Seth Hoffman and directed by Larissa Kondracki. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kulsik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Ricky D, editor-in-chief, general editor, general editor. How's it going, Ricky? Hey, Kate. Hello, SoundSight listeners, and I'm doing good. And this week joining us is the managing editor for TV uh, and many other things uh, at, at, over at Sound On Sight, the wonderful Depayan Sengupta. Depayan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. And won't you join me over with my camp? I left you guys water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sh- nicely shady, uh, shifty water. Now, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, Apayan. Uh Do you have any thoughts on the notion of Sharpies being a defining characteristic of whether a group has their shit together? Like, was your water sign written in Sharpie? Uh, no, we uh-huh. used tree bark. We should, have, we should have used Sharpies. But I was under the impression that liking apple... Uh, sauce or not was the sign of whether someone had their stuff together or not. Hmm, intriguing, intriguing. Uh, to be continued in a little bit here, but before we get into this episode, we should say up at the top, like we always do, that this episode will, uh, this podcast episode will just be looking at this episode of The Walking Dead. That's season five, episode eleven, The Distance. Uh, we will not have spoilers for any future episodes of the show. We will not have spoilers for any future uh, elements from the comic book. Anything that has already happened in both the show and the comic, we may do some compare contrast but nothing that has yet to happen on the show um i have not read any of the comics uh ricky has read the comics to pine what's your relationship with the walking dead comics i read the wikipedia summary years ago and i have completely forgotten it by now <laughs> fair enough so that's that's my relationship to them uh so so how did this episode strike you were you were you um were did Aaron feel like a menacing presence starting the episode or did you take him at face value when, you know, at the start of this episode, how did that, the tone of that character work from you throughout the course of the episode? The tone of the character did uh, sort of work, sort of didn't work. I mean, the problem was that I didn't buy him as menacing, but I got the feeling that the writers wanted me to buy him as menacing. And it, it felt like a lot of whiplash with, with the way he was behaving in the sense that, uh, especially with, with the applesauce scene and how for for minutes on end, he was like, no, I won't eat the applesauce. And he gave just the weirdest, most convoluted reason for that. Uh, and then he just kicked the car out, kicked the car door out on Michonne and just ran away. And I got the feeling from all these things that we were supposed to find his motivation shady and see that Rick had a point. But I like the character as a whole, but I think that he's going to need some more work before I can actually see him as a properly defined character enough to make a full ruling on whether or not I trust him or don't trust him. Because right now, it's the, the way the character is acting and the way he's been written seem to be at odds at odds with each other. Certainly, I mean, I understand he's got a traumatic 
background with applesauce, the character as from what we see in this episode, but someone's got a gun to your head and they're saying, eat applesauce. I think you're going to choke down some applesauce. And and it's the, it's the tiniest t- teaspoon of applesauce. Like, come on, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Say, I really would rather not. Oh, you don't, you think I'm poisoning your baby. I'll, you know, I'll suck it up and actually eat the apples. Are we making too big of a deal of the apples, Ricky? How did that scene work for you? Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. I'm all for a television show as popular as The Walking Dead to put an openly gay character up front and center in the spotlight and have two men kiss on screen. I think that's fantastic. There's, like, what, 15 million people plus watching the show. I'm sure there's some homophobes that got, like, weirded out, whatever, um, so I was like kind of, you know, happy that they introduced this character, but I kind of totally agree with the pine. I mean, I think this was actually a poorly written episode. I mean, we discussed last week's episode with Simon and Simon cracked some amazing jokes. And, you know, we joked around about the episode and like the thunderstorm and, and, uh, the Sharpie, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but like, I really didn't have a problem with last week's episode because none of it seemed forced. And so this is what I've been talking about or talking about on the podcast over the past like three or four weeks is that I'm okay if things aren't necessarily subtle, you know, especially when I'm watching a genre show like this, like, which is within the horror genre. Right. But it's, there's a huge difference between things not being subtle and things being forced. Right. And so the thing is none of it really rang true because it felt forced. It felt like the writers were trying to force these characters to say and or do certain things in order for the audience to kind of be, suspect of this new guy we meet named Aaron and the applesauce is the prime example like yeah you know what you're gonna you you clearly are an intelligent person you've been following around this group for god knows how long you know they're not really a danger to you but yet at the same time all you have to do is take a spoon of applesauce you know what i mean it's not a big thing and so they they do these these little things throughout the whole entire episode where they try to make the audience second guess continuously the main character his motivations is he bad is he good etc etc and i kind of felt it was kind of really annoying and it's one thing to manipulate the audience in terms of like killing off a main character like tyrese and or beth and they're trying to get that emotional response and i talked about this i think last week and the week before you still need to justify your reason for doing so but it's an entirely different thing when you're trying to play games with the audience because you want them to try to figure out or not necessarily know where uh, plot a is headed and who this character is and if he's a danger or not but when it when it comes with such poor writing i'm not necessarily going to walk away from the episode being you know 100 thrilled i thought this episode was kind of like the weakest episode of the entire season so far. I would not go that far, certainly. Um, but I do think that the one of the tricky things the writers have to balance balance with the um, Alexandria arc uh, and this discussion of like I'm assuming this is going to be an arc, but you, I've heard enough you know people talking about this as a significant location um, on on Twitter and stuff that I assume this will will be exploring Alexandria for at least a few episodes here. Um, or the, was it the safe zone? Is that what it's called, Ricky? Yeah. Um, uh, look, they're not going to leave this location, at least for, you know, for for sure the entire season, because there's not much left, right? There's like, what, there's five only, episodes Yeah, left? there's a few episodes left. So this looks to be like our next arc. And of course, plenty of us thought that we would have a whole arc 
with Terminus at the, at the start of, of the season, and we saw how that went. So maybe they'll change things up. But anyways, one of the things that's tricky, I think, with this Alexandria arc is that they're exploring the the, uh, the idea of hope and can they finally have a, a place to feel safe? And it's one thing, they have to balance the the characters and the audience because the characters don't know when they're on a TV show. The characters don't know that this, they're never going to, you know, let these characters, the writers are never going to let these characters be completely safe because that would be boring. Um, and so trying to make something believable for the characters to go with. So I think Michonne's arguments about uh, wanting to take the chance on Alexandria versus Rick's arguments against, I think that works very well. And I buy her and some of the other people uh, being willing, like seeing the best in Aaron or wanting to see the best, that kind of a thing. But as an audience member, I'm just incredibly skeptical. I just, I'm not going to believe it's like, oh, sure, everything's great there. It's not like we've seen that happen a bajillion times on this show and go, and go south. So I don't know how well they did with that in this, ep- in this episode. And I'm curious, Ricky, knowing more than we do, without going into any spoilers at all, does that affect how much the character of Aaron works for you? Because you know if Alexandria, at least in the comics, is what he's saying. And don't tell us whether or not it is. But does that affect your read of the character and the episode? I don't think I can honestly answer this question because I don't think from the viewpoint of someone who's only watching a TV show, I don't think we know or enough about the character or have seen enough of him to really to really answer that question, like to really be able to say, yes, I like his portrayal. Yes, I like what the actor is doing. Yes, I like what the writers are doing with his character. But I'll answer the question in a different way by asking you a question. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, in the next episode or two, Gabriel totally turns on the group, and it turns out the whole entire time he's been a villain. Ga- Father Gabriel? Yes. Okay. You would be shocked, right? Because they never played that push or pull between that character. They never kind of try to make the audience think that, oh, is he good or is he bad? Is he good? Is he bad? That to me is poor writing with, with what they are doing, Aaron. Like, for example, this guy, again, is very intelligent. Him and his group have been following around Rick and the gang for God knows how long. And he does something like leave bottles of water out in the middle of the road. He knows them well enough to know they're not going to drink the water. You know what I mean? So that's not a good first impression. And then sneaking up on um, Maggie and Sasha, I mean, he didn't really sneak up on them, but I mean, still, it was the whole approach. It just didn't make sense. Like, it just, just common sense. It didn't make any common sense for this character who's actually intelligent, who knows a lot about Rick and the gang to make these specific moves. And that follows throughout the whole entire episode right up until the applesauce thing and continues. And so it's just a matter of the writing. Like, I just feel like the writers are trying too hard to, I don't know, play with our emotions and, and make the audience, like, you know, feel like, like I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Like, you, just a better way to do it, I think. Like, like, we've seen many characters introduced, you know, throughout the whole five seasons. But whenever it's whenever it leads towards danger, it's obvious. And if it's not obvious, they they try their best to make it look obvious instead of it being like surprising. Well, for me, basically, I was talking about this last week on the podcast um, about how 
the fact that they're ready to shoot everyone on site, like anytime they see any person, it's immediately a negative. They're, you know, they're, they're at this point, they don't trust anyone. And, you know, they say in this episode that you see anybody, you just kill them. Um, yeah. that, you know, how I was miss, I, I, uh, wish that anybody ha- valued human life and human, like, because so many people are dead, the notion of finding somebody else or another group of people that aren't, you know, crazy or cannibals or whatever, um, should be something to celebrate. And in that they theoretically give us that here by Aaron saying the most important thing, most valuable resource are people, but I don't trust them. I don't, you know, and we don't know the character of Aaron anywhere near well enough to know that he's necessarily telling the truth. If he's telling the truth, this is incredibly refreshing and yay. I look forward to uh, a different take on the um, location or the, the new, you know, home base or setting that we would, will get with Alexandria, but I don't trust the writers here. Depayan, uh, what do you think about this? Like, do you believe Aaron? It, it, let's say Aaron is telling the truth. If Aaron is telling the truth, does that make you like this episode more? Um, uh- no, because if if Aaron is telling the truth, then he has r- really really poor social skills, and that <laughs> <clears throat> no, I'm sorry, that doesn't bode well for him. Because the the whole way they bring Aaron in in well, I guess in the end of last episode and this episode seems really odd because he apparently they have to audition to get into Alexandria, but at the same time, Aaron and his boyfriend have been following Rick and their group around and listening in on their conversations and everything, and I mean. I'm not really entirely sure what, you know, putting aside whether or not Aaron is uh, suspicious or not and whether Alexandria is suspicious or not, I'm not really sure if we do assume that Alexandria is a good place and Aaron's a good person, why exactly he he's so hell-bent on getting Rick and his group in into the community as opposed to just any band of survivors? Because it seems like he put in a lot, a lot of effort because they had to come out they had to see that group then they had to go back to alexandria and specifically get applesauce because they knew that uh judith was with the group and then they had to come back after the group and then they had to listen in on their conversations and they had to pick the right time to approach them and so on it it just seems like a lot of deliberate planning and i'm not entirely sure why they've done it and so if aaron's not evil and if alexandria is actually a good place and he's a good person then it then it just makes him look weirder and creepier in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in ask, that sense. Can I ask you a question? Okay. So, okay, we watch the television show, which means we watch Rick and the gang as viewers. We watch what they do. So technically, Aaron, Eric, and everyone else that's part of his community has been watching Rick, Michonne, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for days, weeks, who knows, right? So – Again, they are watching these characters much like we are watching these characters, so they have a good understanding of what kind of people they are. So, the Pine, if you knew, if you were like one of those characters in the show who's watched Rick, Michonne, et cetera, et cetera, for a good amount of time, and you know that deep down inside they're good people, um, would you have any problems in giving, say, the address for the community, telling them exactly how to get there? Like, no. would you have any reservations about, 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 I don't know, revealing any kind of secrets? I mean, you're inviting these people into your community because you're, you supposedly trust them, but yet you don't trust them enough to even tell them where they're going. Yeah, exactly. And 
but also if I was Aaron, then the minute Rick punched me in the face, I'd say, screw you guys and walk out. Well, I do think that to play devil's advocate for a moment here, I do think because what we've seen time and again on the show is that there the people who have survived, most of them do not play well with others. Most of them are not constructive towards a community um, or at least the kind of community that hopefully you'd want to live in. Um, and so that makes Rick's group an incredibly rare commodity. If that is the case, then I understand them going to these lengths to follow them around and try to get them to come because they would be a huge benefit to a community if they are, if I guess, again, this is all assuming Alexandria is legit and we'll explore the, the notion that it's not in a little bit here on the podcast. But um, that being said, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Rick, because this, the, throughout the episode, they go back and forth about, about how much this group knows or Aaron knows Rick's gang. So like, does he know them well enough? Has he been watching them well enough to, to, to trust the group and to feel like he really knows them and to know that they're good people and to desperately want them to join in with the Alexandria group because it will really help them because they'll be such a benefit to their, you know, the, the human component of, of the society. Or does he think, hey, maybe they're interesting. We don't trust them enough to give them our address because you can't yeah. have it both ways. But But you also show up with a set of photographs, right? Which you, you intentionally bring these photographs. You plan on bringing these photographs. You bring them along because you want to show them to Rick Grimes. And as Michonne points out, in these photographs, there's no pictures of anyone who lives in his community. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so he he rebuttals with the lamest or most <laughs> obvious. <laughs> that was terrible. Excuse, yeah. Right? It's like the exposure or the picture didn't turn out properly or whatever. But, I mean, you walk – again, you know enough about these people to know that if you're going to show them photographs, they're smart enough to wonder – where are the people? Where is where is the community? Like, what are these photographs exactly showing us? You know what I mean? So it's I think I think the problem for I think for all of us and speaking for all of us and correct me if I'm wrong. I think the problem is is just the writing of this specific character and his motivations and decisions that he makes within this one episode that just completely rang false from start to finish. Well, and for me, that ties in with this uncertainty about. Alexandria, because we've been exploring, okay, well, what if Alexandria is legit? Because if Alexandria is legit, I'm much more interested in this storyline. But if it's not, then this is another another example. After so many recently, I've been complaining about it on the podcast, I feel like every week, and I should probably let go of it at this point. But this would be another example of the show trying to get us to get our hopes up and to get invested in a new idea and to, you know, build up a few optimists just to destroy them in a couple episodes yet again for like the third or fourth time this season. Um, and that would just piss me off. So I, the, their options here are not particularly great. And that's why I was wondering if for people who know, at least in the comics, what happens with Alexandria, you you ha already know how to feel about how mu the the extent to which the uh, the writers are manipulating or attempting to manipulate the audience, only to crush their spirits or maybe to encourage them. Um, so I I would be curious to hear from listeners what they think about this. Um, but but Rick and Depine, Rick and Depine, what do you think of like if Alexandria is not legit, does this storyline have any chance of working or is it just Woodbury all over again? 
I, I would be inclined to say it, it would feel more like Woodbury with a dash of Terminus all over again because the group is invited in. But but yeah, it would it would basically be once again a rehash and once and if and when that happens, then all we'd have to do is just replay Rick and Michonne's dialogue from this episode and that would just you know, that that would just pretty much sum up the whole storyline and then it would be rinse and repeat all over again probably next season. And and I'm with you, Kate. If if they if they have any hope in hell of making this a unique storyline, then they have to make Alexandria a legit place and have the threat come from elsewhere and not from inside all over again. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ricky? Boy, it's really hard to comment on this without actually giving away too much information. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can happen. Okay, we could have a repeat of Woodbury. We could have just another sort of like community that lasts like a half a season or two. Um, or sorry, a half a season or a full season, and in which it all appears good to our our, our protagonist and his, and his fellow survivors, Rick Michonne, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, someone has to ruin it all, and or the person that's in charge is really like this evil villain, like the governor. We could get a repeat of Woodbury. We could also get a community in which you have a bunch of people who are actually interested in helping everyone in order to survive and they all benefit from each other's skills and knowledge and and just having more hands-on to help out with like say farming or what have you and so it is a community and they are they do have good intentions but then something can go wrong anything can go wrong they, they themselves can get attacked by you know a, a group of people from outside that are not like rick michonne and etc etc or a gang of survivors that you know there could be like a third party that shows up and or maybe alexandria gets somehow raided by zombies and or maybe we have like an outbreak like we saw in the what was it the, the first the half prison. of season four yeah first half of season yeah. four which then in itself the the the, the, the 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 disease becomes sort of like the antagonist in that first four or five episodes of like season four mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that they can do but i think one thing we talked about last week and the week before was it would be nice if this show can actually have sort of like a setting for one, I would say two seasons, two full seasons in which we get to see these characters roam around the same sort of like, um, I mean, I'm going to say community here, but like, you know, a certain amount of distance in which we can actually get to know these people better and they can start forming relationships. And, and I don't know, it would be, it would be like a, a completely different kind of show as opposed to a bunch of people on the road c- continuously trying to survive a bunch of like walkers and or crazy people like the governor. And last week, you know, Simon Howell came on the show and he actually started the podcast with me like five years ago, whenever it was. And um, he eventually dropped out because he just doesn't want to watch The Walking Dead anymore because he's sick of it. But he himself has admitted that the show has evolved. And I think what I said last week is, yes, the show has evolved and we have to give credit to the showrunner and showrunners, because although we can pinpoint flaws and things that we don't like week by week, it has yet, it has at least evolved, you know, for, for, for better or for worse. In some cases for better, in some cases for worse. The governor, for example, was like a big, huge mess. So I guess we as viewers can only hope that they do something new with this new location and hopefully they stick with this location and these new characters they introduce for a good amount of screen time and a good amount of time. Like not just like one or two episodes, but like a good full season, at least if not more, because one of my major complaints about the hospital, Grady's hospital is we get to meet all these characters and then boom, they're gone. You know what I mean? Like we're never, I bet we're never going to see any of those people ever again. And in the process, we lost Beth, who was like at 
that point in time, one of my favorite characters. So I don't know. I really, really do believe they're going to put their own little twist on it. I don't think they're going to follow the comic book storyline. I think they're going to sway away from from um, from at least specific details from the actual comic books. If you read the comic book and you watched this episode, I think you're going to walk away thinking they're going to change certain things. But regarding Aaron, I don't think Aaron is a bad guy. I, I do not think Aaron is a danger to Michonne, Rick, or any of those people. Um, and I think the one scene that really proves that he's not a danger is the scene in which he reunites with Eric. And I think when they actually see Aaron reunite with Eric and, and they they can clearly see that he's in love with this guy and he cares about him and he has like, you know, a good heart, he's a good person. I think that scene proves that at least he is not a danger. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the community isn't because we don't know who lives there? You know what I mean? The people that lived in Woodbury thought it was like the best place in the world during the post, during the zombie apocalypse or post-apocalypse, whatever. Um, but it turns out that the governor was really like evil and doing terrible things behind their back, but they did not know it. Maybe they turned a blind eye. Maybe they were just being naive or maybe they just had so much hope. Um, but the thing is this episode does end on a, on a very hopeful note, but every time we get that little, that little glimmer of hope, the characters get slapped in the face and or dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, with so many characters having died um, this year, uh, a varying, I guess, strata, depending on who you talk to, and the within the fan community, I, I, I know some people won't care as much about Bob as as maybe uh, I do or some of the other uh, people do, some of the other fans do. But um, yeah, we've had a lot of significant deaths this year already. So if if we have things turn sour and more people die in the next few episodes or before the end of the season, it's going to be pretty hard to take, which doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but yeah, just like you said, uh, Ricky, if Milton had, had run into the gang and said, Hey, you should come, uh, hang out with my buddy, the governor, we would have been like, Milton's cool. Um, that doesn't mean that the governor's cool. Uh, and I actually, I want to take a moment. You already mentioned it, Ricky, but I love, love, love so much love uh that because of course not knowing the comics i didn't know that aaron is gay and has a partner of some you know i don't know if they're married or or just dating or whatever i did not know that the character was gay and so when they have that reunion scene after the flare and it humanizes aaron so much it was wonderful and the camera does not move it's like yeah this is happening on the most watched show on television right now deal Mm -hmm. with it Yes, two men are kissing. It's not two hot chicks just trying out lesbianism for a second because uh, it's sweet, sweet, sweet. This is a real relationship, and this is part of it. Deal with it. So much love. Yeah. So and while then Rick most... creepily watches from the shadows. <laughs> no, no, no. That's um, Eugene, right? Eugene creepily watches from the shadows. Well, Eugene creepily watches Abraham and uh, and Rosita from the shadows, but in that scene. I, I, you know, after a few after a few seconds, they did show Rick emerging from the shadows, and I'm pretty sure he was there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And, just and just was, hiding in the shadows, just waiting. It was actually, really kind of like cute to see his reaction because you can tell he was sort of like shocked, but not insulted or offended. He just was kind of like, "Oh, there's two dudes kissing." <laughs> like you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like it was just really cool. Like I like Andrew Lincoln's delivery in that in that specific scene, even though like he didn't really have any dialogue, it just kind of like his reaction shot. It was really, really cool. But yeah, props to the show for, 
for doing it. I mean, yeah. Well, and also it's, it also, for, for me, I, I think it's not necessarily just that, you know, it's like, oh, these are two good, two dudes. I think it's also just the, the passion and the intensity of the emotion. This is, Rick has just been so incredibly cut off for so long and nobody in the group, even, you know, Glenn and Maggie aren't particularly passionate with each other at this point. I mean, especially with Beth having so recently died, she's pretty cut off and isolated emotionally right now as well. So to see any kind of just physical contact and such, again, I just say the word passion, um, that's such a powerful emotion. And that's something Rick hasn't even tangentially experienced in quite a long time. And uh, I, I think it's also to the show's credit that they, uh, that being gay is not made Aaron's defining trait. Like even in this episode, even in this podcast, when we started talking about Aaron, the first thing was that we started talking about whether he's suspicious or not and his apparent hatred of applesauce. And <laughs> I think, you know, in, in, in most lesser shows, his being gay would be his primary trait and his defining trait for the entire season. And for for this show, even in just the one episode, to, to show more shades of him is, is definitely to his credit and to the show's credit as a whole. Yeah, I would say that Tara still kind of her defining trait is she's the lesbian uh, right now. And so they haven't even necessarily done well with the other gay character on the show. Uh, so this is definitely a step in the right direction. And hopefully we'll get to know. I mean, we got we got stuff with her about her grief and her guilt towards you know over Herschel's death and everything. But on the whole, I think most people would say, oh, yeah, she's that one who was with the governor or, oh, she's the gay one. Um, so I absolutely agreed to Pine. It's a well-handled uh, character on, from that front. Well, well refresh my memory. Uh, with Tara, did we find out that she was gay right away, like within like a few scenes, or was it later on? Because I think it was right away. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I, I, I feel like it was something that we knew about her right away, but I, thinking back to the governor arc, there wasn't anybody else around, so I don't know how we would have. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. the I family. Think she told the, I think she told the governor when they were still in the apartment complex. Oh, okay. Maybe? Yeah, I, I think so. But Yeah, but we haven't actually ever seen her with a partner or even thinking about a partner or anything like that. It's just... I, I, I'm pretty sure it was just a piece of dialogue somewhere down the line, and that's pretty much been it. Yeah, I, I think the one thing people are forgetting, and I'm specifically referring to people who haven't read the comic book, is the season end. Uh, sorry, the last season ended with Morgan trailing them from the shadows, like he was hiding the shadows and he was following the group. Mm-hmm. And I believe this season Began. opens with Morgan following the group. But we haven't yet seen Morgan. And so when Aaron shows up, like despite the fact that Aaron and his friends are watching Michonne and Rick and the gang from a distance, how does he know his name? And what I find really odd about it is nobody asked him, how do you know our names? Like, 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 I mean, in the last episode, he says he says his name. He says Rick Grimes right before the episode ends. So he clearly knows not only his first name, but his full name. And so for, for me, I'm like, well, if he knows so much about Rick Grimes and, and Michonne and Carl and Judith, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, given the fact that we've seen Morgan pop up at the beginning of the season and at the end of last season, I think Morgan must be a member of this community. So I'm pretty sure we're going to soon see him 
pop up again in the show. It's got to be. He's got to pop up before the season ends. Well, I we think we get an answer in this episode with the with the what is it, the um, boom mics or it's not boom mic, but uh, the distance you know amplifier yeah. thingy they that they have, um, which doesn't mean that the characters should not have asked, "Hey, how do you?" It's not like people walk around saying, "Rick Grimes, would you bring me that bottle of water?" You know, it's like. I could understand. It would be really easy for somebody watching the group to hear their first names, but the full name is weird. Um, but that is information that could have been obtained just by watching the group long enough and and listening in on them. Um, and if Morgan is with this group and it ha- we have not seen him since the very start of this season, that's annoying as far as I'm concerned. I was a little frustrated that we didn't see him come back for the mid-season finale or the mid-season premiere. If he mattered enough for us to see him at the end of last season, at the beginning of this season, if that's going to be something that we're invested in, I think we needed to see him again. It's uh, not just annoying. It's kind of like odd. Like, okay, so Morgan is following Rick, Michonne, and Carl way back to, I don't know what area they were in when they finally get to the Cannibals. And then he's still following the group, but yet if he ends up in Alexandria, then why is it that Aaron's the one that goes out to try to exactly. convince Rick? Yeah, exactly. they should have been Morgan because Morgan at least knows Rick Grimes. It's the only thing that makes any sense because then, you know, again, because they talk about in this episode how they're just going to shoot anybody who comes, who feels confident enough to walk up to them because it means they're a threat. They, they don't consider a group of people with guns to be a threat. Um, Morgan wouldn't have to worry about that because as long as he waited till somebody who knew him was in the group, they wouldn't shoot at him. Um, So there's got to be something going on such that Morgan is not available to be the one to go talk to them. Um, So clearly there has to be more going on or they're just really stupid at Alexandria or the writers wanted to stretch out the tension about it for an extra episode and are being manipulative. Those are the options that I see at least. What yeah. do you think, the Or Morgan's moving, or Morgan's moving really, really slowly, and he's only now gotten the terminus. <laughs> so, yeah, and, or um, Morgan's still trailing behind, and he ends up at Alexandria after Rick and Michonne and the gang end up at Alexandria. But here's the thing: if Morgan's ar- lurking around in the background, has been part of this group watching them, uh, then and he did just like chose to not help out with the cannibals. It's kind of like a screw Morgan situation at that point yeah. well he is sort of mentally unstable the last you know, time we saw yeah. him yeah certainly yeah. they've only just arrived at alexandria and again this is episode 11 or 12 11 11 which means we have five more episodes left and that means we're gonna have one episode guaranteed in which we're just gonna get to meet everyone so don't expect any big action set pieces in the next episode uh, maybe two episodes but then i'm like what are they gonna do in say the next three, four, five episodes. I mean, they usually want to end with a big cliffhanger. Someone dies. There's a big action set piece. But they just arrived here. <laughs> mm-hmm. This this should have been like the end of the season, not like episode eleven. <laughs> well, it does mean that, or at least that, what that tells me is that they have something like an, they have another like mini arc planned. They've, they've enjoyed having those like three, four episode kind of arcs over the past couple of seasons while Gimple's been the showrunner. Um, and so that, th- well, that tells me the timing of this tells me that, yeah, next week we'll meet Alexandria and all the people there or whatever. And then we have a 
space for a three episode arc and a finale. And the finale is directed by uh, Greg Nicotero again. So I would expect there to be some action in there, even if it weren't a finale, I would expect action based on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I've enjoyed about this season is the pacing uh, until we got to the the hospital, at least, was one of the things I was enjoying was the pacing and them throwing away storylines that we were kind of dreading being stretched out. So whether or not that happens with Alexandria, we'll we'll see. But um, but I'm actually kind of encouraged that they didn't stretch out the arrival at Alexandria until the end of the season. Um, either if this is going to go bad, let's have it go bad and be done with it by the end of the season, or if it turns out to be a positive thing, then yay, then they can, you know, establish Alexandria and go from there. You know what my favorite part of this episode was? And I don't know if many people caught on, but it's the episode in which, okay, they're driving and they've done a lot of driving this whole entire season, a lot of walking. And Abraham looks at the gas tank and he thinks he's going to run out of gas. No, it was a, um, a check battery light. Check battery light. Sorry. Right. And so you, and he's like, no, we're going to make it. And you're like, okay, glimmer of hope. And boom, there's, there's an, a, a, a quick cut. And sure enough, the RV does not make it. It stops in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, wow, another slap in the face to not only us viewers, but the characters, because every time they, every, every time they think something good's going to happen, it goes the opposite way and it ends up being bad. And then we get the nice nod to Dale. Yeah. Wasn't that great? Yeah. So I really, really, yeah, really... that was great. Yeah. And I love that they didn't explain it, that they just <gasps> trust the audience to remember. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what about these other elements to the episode? How did you guys feel about um, them putting Michonne in the, um, the, as the let's give this a shot or let's trust it or passing up something like Alexandria, if it is legit is, is too dangerous, like she says here. Um, does she work as the new the show's new optimist? The pine. I I do think so, uh, and I think part of the reason is is what she outlines herself in this episode is that she's been alone for so long, and she's been fighting on her own for so long. Uh, you know, plus minus the time that she spent with Andrea, uh, that you know this is the first time that she's actually with the group that sh- whom she trusts to have her back, and maybe she's she's okay with with settling down for a while. And this sort of, it, it's, it's also harkens back to what Daryl told her back when at the beginning of last season, I believe it was when she was out hunting for the governor every day. And Daryl told her that you don't have to keep hunting for him. I think it's a nice nod to that, that she's sort of finally in a place where she's willing to not be looking over her back every single moment. And I, I, I think it's, it's a natural, it's a natural growth of her character now to become the show's new optimist in a way. Uh, or, or at least the sort of the devil's advocate to Rick's constant uh, running, uh, to Rick's running ideology. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, and and I like I really liked that line of dialogue. I wasn't as sold on Denegrera's uh, delivery of it, but um, I like the rest of her performance throughout the episode. But um, her referring to herself as a crazy woman with a sword. I like this notion that this is this is Michonne after she's been able to piece herself back together. This is closer to who she was before all of this. And when she was the, the, the badass, badass taciturn, um, you know, person walking around with her 
dead friends. Uh, that was screwed up and not, you know, it's like people who, who miss like just the all kick ass, no talk Michonne. That's not really who the character was. This is who the character was. I, I really like that. I'm hoping that they'll continue to, uh, explore that character and let her open up even further. What do you think, Rick? Um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's just, you know, the thing is, Michonne at this point is the new Tyrese, and Tyrese took over for Bob, right? And uh, I guess the thing is, is that I'm just worried, because again, the comic book and the show are kind of different. They kind of reverse how people die. Like, for example, one character will die a specific way, but then in the TV show, it'll be someone else that dies that way, and this character will go on living, he'll die like someone else. I'm just kind of worried that because Michonne is like the beacon of hope right now, she's the one that's keeping the characters moving, she's the one that's... thinking straight she's the one that's making the right decisions and she's the one that's actually trying to take charge and standing up standing up to rick grimes i'm just afraid that that means that she doesn't have much like time left on the show i could mm-hmm. be wrong but again you know we we said we talked about this like at the end of the first half of this season we we're like oh you know they can't really kill anybody else off at this point in time because everyone else is like needed except for maybe tara and now, like, the season opens up with Tyrese dying, and we're like, okay, so even if it's a fan favorite or a really good actor, he can die. So, um, I don't know. I don't even know if I answered your question, because I'm totally rambling right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, the, there, there's just, there's a lot of, like, Easter eggs in this episode. And, like, we mentioned the Easter egg. I guess you can call it an Easter egg, because a lot of people might not catch it with the reference to Dale. But then there's that whole conversation in which uh, Noah walks in, he starts talking to Aaron, and Aaron asks him about the leg. And, you know, there's a reason why they write in that specific scene into the episode. It's not just because Aaron's trying to get all buddy-buddy with Noah. Like, he specifically mentions someone, and I think we're going to see that person that he mentions, Pete, play a major part in the next arc, the next story arc. Um, there's also... Oh my God, there's there there's for comic book readers. This is not, this doesn't give anything away, but the scene in which which I thought by the way was beautifully executed. The scene in which they're they're racing through Highway 23, whatever it is, and they're all in the dark to turn the lights off in the car and end up like ramming into all the zombies. It's not 100% played out like that in the comic book, but it's still like a nice homage to comic book, and they do their own little twist on it. But I thought it was really really well executed, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just just a lot of Easter eggs in this in this episode. I just for some reason I just can't think right now. Well, and I liked having um, Abraham and Rosita have a memory that they share of somebody that we haven't met, uh, but they both know uh, Rex, right? That's somebody we haven't. I'm not forgetting someone, right? No. Um, I think, I think they mentioned his name a while back when they started naming off some people who died. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like little things like that, I, or, you know, I, I appreciate getting those and the the little moments like that and taking the time for them are what, you know, this is what the show started doing, um, more during the Gimple era that makes these characters feel more lived in and, uh, makes us connect to them a bit more. Uh, certainly, yeah. The the action set piece in, with the the walkers on the highway did did work. I kept waiting for them to just you have the road curve and they drive off of it because they can't see. It was rather convenient that the the road didn't turn. But hey, the, the it was still well executed and um, having uh, Michonne have the presence of mind to realize that the other group will go towards the flare. So they should go too. uh, that, that really worked for me. And, uh, 
yeah, the, the, the set in the, the panic of, okay, you know what? Screw it. You guys aren't worth this. I'm just going to leave from Aaron again, assuming he, you know, like when we know why he's doing that, when we know that Eric is in danger and that's why he's done this, uh, that really worked for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that the shot of Rick firing the flare into the zombie head and, this, it slowly taking over the zombie was was a pretty cool effect as well. Oh, that was awesome! Yeah. Uh, what did you think about Rick hiding the gun when he goes off to the side of the woods and he hides the gun in the um, I don't know what you call it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. that felt like a a direct nod to um, to Terminus, where they buried the bag of guns. And, I mean, it makes sense where there. this is a spot where, theoretically, it's on the way to where they're going. It's nearby, but not right there. Where, should things go sour, at least there's a weapon out that he can get. Um, because, of course, as soon as they start talking about those walls, it's like, oh, nobody can possibly get in. The first thing, and Rick is going to be thinking, and you know, anybody watching should be thinking, that also means other people can't get out. Just as easily, uh, that could become a prison for them, should it be another Terminus situation. So I thought that was a nice nod. However, that wasn't that big a gun, and it doesn't hold that many bullets. Uh, So I don't know how much good that would be. Um, But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I feel like it's Chekhov's gun, you know, that it has to come back. I think it could just be a character touch, you know, that he's wary. Um, I don't know. Do you expect to see that gun again? Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. Depine? Yeah, I'm also of the mindset that we will see the gun again, although he he get, he left no markers about where to actually find the gun. So I'm sure, I'm sure he will find it again, and I'm sure there will be some plot contravance that will bring him back to that shed. When I saw that shed and when I saw Rick hiding the gun, I mean, that registered in my head, but what I thought was they found the barn last episode, they found this shed this episode, I'm kind of surprised they haven't stumbled across solitary survivors just hiding out in these places and just fortifying the walls and living there alone. I mean, Gabriel aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Well, you know, you know the thing, it is old habits, right? And it's good to see that at least a character is being consistent in the fact that, you know, when he arrived at Terminus, he hid guns at Terminus. When he arrives here, he's hiding guns. Like, he's still being cautious. He's still making the same sort of, like, decisions uh, that he would in the past. And I mean, we got to remember that Rick and the gang, um, you know, forget the governor, they got attacked and captured by cannibals, people who eat people, okay? Not the zombies, but actual living people who eat people. I mean, that is traumatizing. You know what I mean? That is like, I can't even imagine what what that would do to me psychologically. Like if I was held captive and someone wanted to eat me and I had to find a way to free myself. I mean, that's just like, I mean, I can't even, I mean, I know this is a TV show and they're living in a zombie world, but I mean, the psychological. That's a whole other level. Yeah. And so the thing is, that's why uh, I think the writing for the characters like Rick and the gang was fine in this episode, because that's how I expect these people to act. I just didn't like the writing for Aaron, because I just thought it just felt forced and, um, and uh, yeah, it just was sloppy. And I guess that's about it. I mean, it was one of those episodes where I really honestly don't have much to say because it's all set up. The whole entire episode is set up. It's like, let's get these people to the next location. And then when we're at the next location, then we're going to start unraveling all these new storylines. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, do we have any uh, predictions or hopes 
for for Alexandria or what's to come next? I mean, Ricky, if you want to recuse yourself, feel free. Um, but Depayan, or is it too or is it too soon to tell? No, there's something I can say. Um, okay. If we do get introduced to you know twelve, twenty four, thirty people, it would be great if we actually get to know at least maybe eight people, you know, before mm-hmm. they all die and burn or, or crash in like a, in a car accident or jump on a bus and take off. And then two episodes later, we find them all dead. Like, <laughs> just, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to introduce characters, like, please, for the love of God, make them interesting and let us get to know these people. There's no need to rush the show. Okay. Depine, what do you think? Well, from my end, what I'd, there's there's really two main things I'd like to see in Alexandria. One, I'd like to see Tara actually form some kind of relationship with someone outside of the group, or maybe even inside the group. Not even necessarily a romantic relationship, just some sort of friendship or just something that gives her character a little more definition now that she's lost her sister and, and niece and all that. I'd, I'll, I'll raise that. I'll see that and raise it, too. I'd like... Um... Terror to form a personality. Yes, some something that actually defines it. That something when we think of Terra, we don't have to spend a minute thinking about. Wait, who was she again? Yeah, because I, I I have liked the the character's been sort of blandly likable, and I I put that to the actress. But the writing that they've given her outside of you know, you feel guilty. Like I don't feel like I know anything about her. I don't know if she was presented with a a bookshelf i don't you know or she's in the library i don't know what section of the library she would go to to pick up reading like i know nothing about who she is as a person so i absolutely second that uh a defiant absolutely anything else well what i'd also like to see is I'm, I'm hoping to get more of a focus on gabriel assuming that they stay in alexandria and assuming that alexandria is actually a nice community i think there's potential now to see how Gabriel readjusts to being in sort of full society, given his aversion to killing zombies and given the way he's felt about uh, the disintegration of his church from last season to this season. And I'd, I'd sort of like to see how he adjusts to this community and if and when, and when is probably the right word to use there, things go south, how he reacts. Uh, I, I think I think there's potential for for an interesting arc with Gabriel here, and I'd like to I'd hope that gets explored a bit. Yeah, see him back at the head of a new flock, um, may, or whether he would just kind of not mention that he's a priest because he doesn't want to have to do that again. Um, that could, if it is a stable community and a priest shows up, you know, or a pastor, I don't remember the denomination. Um, that could. There are people there, you know, that could prompt a conversation about uh, faith again that could be hopefully handled a little more with a little more nuance than what we got earlier this season. Uh, I do think that if they do, I mean, okay, let's face it, they are. I mean, they're going to walk into Alexandria. They're going to become part of this community. You don't have to read the comic book to know this. It it ends with the episode with them accepting the fact that they're going to do this, right? They're going to at least try it out. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah. I think this gives the writers a good opportunity to do something with Carl. Cause I still think Carl is a very important character, not just because I read the book, but just from even watching the TV show, you know, I think Rick Grimes has more of a connection to Carl than he does with the baby Judith. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's his daughter, but she's still a baby. He hardly spends any time with her. He's known Carl at least for God knows how, I don't know how old Carl is in the show. I guess he's like 11, 12, even though he looks 15 at this point. 
Yeah, um, he's probably around there. Uh, I, I, I think he's 12, although I have nothing to base that on. Right, and yeah. so the episode ends, and Rick Grimes is, of course, still not sure if he wants to, like, enter. And, uh, and of course, they hear the kids crying, and that's what sort of, like, sparks that reaction from him. We see it in his face, and he's like, okay, I'm ready to go. And Michonne, I think, holds his hand, and it's the, it's the kids. Like, you hear kids in the background playing and whatever, laughing. And so it gives the opportunity for the writers to do something with Carl, because Carl's going to need someone around his age to interact with you know he can't just be like a 12 year old boy who only learns how to like kill zombies like we got to do something with this character so i think this is their golden ticket to do something with the actor chandler riggs who i think is actually a really good actor i think he's really improved over the years and the character carl yeah i don't disagree what does you know you talk about the effect of almost getting eaten on rick what does that do to a teenager? You know, and but the, and then to have to to know as much as anyone can know that your baby sister is dead, but then to get her back, does that you know, like how do those two events shape yeah. him? And like, well, what, which does he adhere to? The hope and and the joy of getting his sister back, or the despair of seeing what people can become in this world? Well, you know, on the Talking Dead TV show, somebody, like one of the, um, I don't know if it was someone who called in or someone that was like an audience member asked the questioner, like, do you think it would be better if you were an adult and then the zombie apocalypse happened and like you, you know, knew what life was like before and now you're living within this like world, like with zombies running around everywhere and eating people and or do you think it would be better to be born afterwards or be a, a child growing up in this world. And the thing is, is that if you are a child growing up in this world, I think it just becomes sort of like, um, like you just come to expect it, you know, it becomes sort of like, okay, natural in some kind of like weird, morbid way. Right. Like, you know, whereas if like you've lived like 40, 50, 30, even 20 years, you'll never get used to it. I mean, you will never get used to it. I mean, that's the whole thing about being a child is like, as you grow up, you start to form and you start to like, just sort of, I know, develop and, and acknowledge what the world's like and you grow up with the changes and it's easier to adapt as opposed to someone who gets thrown into this and it's like, holy shit, you know, for 50 years, I've been like a cop or something. And now there's like zombies running around they're trying to eat my children. And so the thing is, um, that's why I think Carl is a very important character. And I think it's actually would be wise of the walking dead to introduce more characters who are of that age. If they can find the right actors and yeah. give them interesting things to do. Yeah. It would also maybe potentially open up the show to a bigger audience. I mean, it's already got a huge audience, but you know, now to, now we have like two openly gay characters on the show, actually kissing on the show. You know, people who like horror movies are going to watch the walking dead. People are watching the walking dead just because everyone's talking about it. People are watching the walking dead. I don't know for all kinds of reasons, you know what I mean? But like, there there seems to be specific characters that some people can like cling on to and, and kind of relate to. Um, and I think, but the show doesn't like the show kind of tried to do this with Liz, Lizzie and Mika and Carl, but you know, that was short lived, but for like a younger viewer, like for example, like my nephew watches show, he doesn't really have any characters that he can relate to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah that's that's, that's, it's certainly a possibility. Yeah. We'll have to see. Well, you're calling for it now. And, of course, 
Thank you for the dogs, by the way, last week. Uh, when you call for it, Ricky, eventually on the show it happens. So more kids. You're saying it's going to happen. Well, we know there's going to be more kids. Uh, I mean, we hear it in the background. We hear them. That's true. Yeah. It, could be a, like... it could be a noise machine. It could be said to adorable children. Right. But it's a matter of, <laughs> I mean, it's a matter of, again, what are they going to do with these characters, be it children and or adults and or scientists and or doctors. And I mean, we had the doctor in O'Grady's hospital who, you know, could have come along with Rick and the gang and he could have served a, a great purpose because he is a doctor. And I mean, what happened to him? You know, what happened to Don, who was also a cop, much like Rick, who had leadership skills and could shoot a gun, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we met, we met a lot of characters. I mean, Milton was like, Milton's the one character, I think. I think I think you know, regardless of what they do, what they did with Milton in the comic book, I think they really lost out on uh, what's his name, Dallas Dallas Roberts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's the kind of actor and character you could have kept on the show, and I think he could have brought a lot to the show. He could have sparked. It's like Eugene, you know, Eugene is great when he's on screen talking and doing his thing, but you know, and I I do understand that there's a lot of characters in the show, and there's only so much time that you can devote to each character. But it's nice that when we do get someone like Eugene and he and he he's being Eugene, it, it just makes the show a lot more fun to watch yeah. as opposed to Michonne, Rick, you know, Carol and whoever always talking about hope and giving up hope and we should have hope. And what are we going to hmm. do next? And hope and hope. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at least they had Dallas Roberts on for multiple episodes, unlike Michael Raymond James and Kyle Gallner, both of yeah. whom could have contributed to the show. Yeah. And yet we're yep. killed off in one episode. Never forget. <laughs> well, on that note, let's we let's never forget this conversation. Thank you so much, Defiant, for coming on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Dean Ipe, and I promise someday I will actually start tweeting again. <laughs> and you can find me on Sound on Site uh, in the TV section. Uh, mostly, uh, currently, I'm doing drop-in reviews of Person of Interest, Jane the Virgin, and Supernatural. I will be picking up on weekly reviews of iZombie and Veep uh, when they begin later on in the year. Yeah, well, coming up soon here for both of those. March is going to be crazy for, yes. for TV. March and April, it's going to kill us. <laughs> but we're going <laughs> to come out stronger, maybe. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, Ricky, how about you? Where can we find you online? On Twitter, Sound On Site. Uh, do follow us on Facebook, of course, Tumblr. Visit our website, soundonsite.org. I do sort of still have a movie podcast, which is kind of slowly ending, but we do have eight more episodes I think we're going to record, and we review all kinds of crazy genre films. Coming up next is The Duke of Burgundy, uh, this fantastic movie called Buzzard, and uh, sort of like a romantic horror film called Springs, so you can see... All of my work over at soundonsite.org. And, of course, you can find me at Sound On Sight, uh, where I'm currently reviewing Girls. And, uh, well, I think my next one that's coming back is Orphan Black after that. But, uh, anyways, uh, you can also find some of my writing over at the AV Club, uh, where I'm currently reviewing Man Seeking Woman. And uh, then you can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. If you want to email us, you can email... Uh, the televerse at gmail.com in case 120 characters aren't enough but we love talking with you guys so so drop us a line at the website leave a comment on this post and uh and keep the conversation going because uh, that is always part of the fun at least uh for for us so hopefully it is for you as well um th next week we'll be back to talk about season five episode 12 remember direct, uh, written by scott m gimple and directed by greg nicotero so theoretically significant episode big name alert 
Um, but anyways, uh, we'll be back to talk about that next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. You're being cautious. I completely understand that. How many of your people are out there? You have a flare gun. You have it to signal your people. How many of them are there? Does it matter? Yes. Yes, it does. I mean, of course. It matters how many people are actually out there, but does it matter how many people I tell you are out there? Because I'm pretty sure no matter what number I say, eight, 32, 444, zero, no matter what I say, you're not going to trust me.